are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. I think we count things that are important to us. Do you agree? So last year, 2023, we said we think we should count people who say yes to Jesus. So this would be a person who is baptized into the Christian faith. This would be a person who maybe prays with one of our pastors to come to know Jesus, to be made right with God. It might be a person who maybe years ago was in the faith, but they walked away and now they've come back to Jesus. And so last year in 2023, people that we know of through the ministry of the church that came to know Jesus were 83 people. Yeah, I agree. Your, your applause was a little subtle, and, and mine is too because I'm asking God to double that number next year. I, I just believe that as a church, that's our calling, and I want to see more people come to know Jesus, don't you? I want to see people be raised with Jesus to a life they never dreamed they could live. That's what I desire. So I was recently in a situation where there was a presenter in the room, and, and here's what he said. He said, during COVID, that was four years ago, by the way, almost four years, 2020, we're in 2024. During COVID, postmodernism gained the dominant voice in American society. This was his observation. He had some data to back it up. He said in COVID, postmodernism gained the dominant voice in American society. He he talked about avenues through which that occurred. He, He talked about social media being so prevalent during that season. And so you might say, okay, postmodernism versus Christianity. This is not an exhaustive list by any means. But these are three things that he states that shows the greatest difference. In postmodernism, it's all about self-centeredness. It's about me. It's about my happiness. It's about my truth. However, in Christianity, a person is God-centered or Christ-centered. In postmodernism, truth is relative. It's dependent on the situation. We hear a lot about You've got to own your truth. However, in Christianity, truth is absolute. Some things are right, some things are wrong. There is moral truth and moral absolutes. In fact, we would say God's word is truth. In postmodernism, feelings trump truth. Even if it's scripture, if I feel something strongly enough Regardless of what the Bible says, I'm going to go with what I feel. However, in Christianity, truth, God's word, God's truth trumps feelings. Even though I struggle a little bit to understand all of this in society today, and even though I see society shifting, I've got to stand on God's word. It trumps my feelings. He went on to say that Christians have become inward. We've withdrawn a bit. 
What do you do when you feel threatened? You retreat. You turn to one another for safety. He said, we have lost as Christians our culture of invitation, of inviting people to come to our churches, of inviting people to come to know Jesus. I remember a year ago I said to you, it's, it's easy for us in the Christian community to say, you know what, the world is getting a little crazy. Maybe it's time for you and I just to circle the wagons and hunker down and just pray that Jesus comes back really soon, you know? The ship is always safest in the harbor. But the ship wasn't built for the harbor. The ship was built for the open sea. And the church of Jesus Christ is empowered by the Holy Spirit to be witnesses. And it's not time for the church to hunker down. It's time for the church to rise up and share Jesus with our world. Amen? That was good. That was a good amen. I'm not surprised either. I believe it's your heart. And so we've been talking about God calling people these last several weeks during Epiphany. And, and we've come to realize that, that God calls some of us to go. For some of us, God is calling us to do something. There are some in the room, the last few weeks, God's been calling you to leave something. Walk away. God's been calling some of us to repent. God's been calling some of us to serve. And God has been calling some of us to share Jesus with the people around us. And so in these passages that we're studying through Epiphany, I realized something interesting. Not only is God revealing himself, making himself known, but he's also revealing his will. This is what I'm calling you to do. I believe that God is always calling his followers. That's why I think one of the greatest questions you can have with other Christians, what, what is God saying to you? Where's the spirit leading you today? What is God calling you to? And, and I believe this morning, if you will just lean in, if you'll just open your heart, that you will hear Jesus calling you with these words. Follow me. And I will send you out to fish for people. That, that, that 83 people in 2024 can be 160 people. Follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. So we're in the gospel of Mark. Would you open your Bible to Mark 1? We were in Mark 1 two weeks ago. We're back there today. I remind you that John Mark writes the gospel. He was, a, he was a co-worker with Paul. He became a partner with Peter in his preaching ministry. And, and when he listened to Simon Peter tell the stories about his encounters with Jesus, because he was right there with Jesus, he watched it all. And when he heard Peter preach, we think that's where he got his material for the gospel of Mark. It was, it was a direct eyewitness of Peter, and he began to write it all down in a beautiful way that now we have the Gospel of Mark. He, he begins by saying, this is the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And then he talks about John the Baptist preparing the way. And then he talks about Jesus being baptized. And his identity is revealed. This is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And then he talks about Jesus going into the wilderness. And now, with Jesus' identity fully realized 
And with Jesus being tested and proven to be true, he now begins the work of his mission, what he came to do. And what he invites you to join him in. And so here it is, verse 14, chapter 1. After John was put in prison, meaning John the Baptist, it cost him his life, by the way. He didn't get out of prison. Jesus went into Galilee. Now, this is the northern part of what we call the Holy Land. You have Judea, Samaria, and then Galilee. Proclaiming the good news of God. What in the world is the good news of God? This is it. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. The time of waiting for God to intervene is over. God's new world is breaking through right now. And so Jesus says, repent and believe this good news. Now, you have all of that, this proclamation of the good news of God, but look what happens next. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once, they left their nets and they followed him. And when he had gone just a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. And without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men, and they followed him. I can't wait to unpack this for you. This is the word of God for the people of God, and the people said, thanks be to God. I was, uh, I was in Atlanta, Georgia this past week with a group of pastors, and one afternoon they introduced uh, the speaker for that closing session, and uh, his name is Kevin Myers. So he's got kind of this cool story. He went to Atlanta years ago to plant a church, and they started the church with 104 people, 104 people. And he said, within three years, I had grown the church to... 82 people. Yeah, it was going the wrong direction. He said, I went to my mentor and he said, I want to quit and I want to come back and I work on your staff again. And the mentor said, no, you got to have faith. He said, I don't have faith. He said, well, then use my faith. I've got lots of faith. And so he goes back and before you know it, they begin to see people come to know Jesus. They begin to see people's lives transformed by the power of the gospel. And before you know it was 300 and then 700 and then 1,000 and then 5,000 and then 16,000 people in those eight or nine campuses in that part of the country. But he told a story and the story messed with me. And here was the story. He said, when I was a young pastor trying to share Jesus with people, I remember talking to this one man and I was trying to convince him of God's love for him and that there was this life that he could live that he never dreamed possible. And finally, one day in my talking to him, he says, Kevin, stop. 
I'm going to hell and I've accepted it. Just stop. In other words, I've made a choice about how I'm going to live my life. And I know what it's going to cost me. I'm going to hell. I've accepted it. So just quit. And Kevin Myers said it rattled me. It shook me. And then he tells a second story. He says, a few years later, I'm investing in this other guy and I'm doing my best to try to talk to him about Jesus. And so he was very interested and he was warm to the gospel. And I could tell he was leaning in and he wanted to hear what I had to say. And we met week after week after week. And finally, one day he comes to me and he says, Kevin, I come and I listen to you talk about Jesus. And I want that in my life. I really do. But I go home and I talk to my wife and she's not coming with me. And so, Kevin, this is the last time we'll meet. I've made a decision. I'm going to hell with my wife instead of going to heaven with you. And Kevin said he walked out of my life. And he said, again, it rattled my world. I got to tell you that I sat there that day and I listened to him tell those two stories. And, and I've just got to be honest and open with you this morning. I was doing some heart examination and I was asking myself, Rick, how broken are you? Over the fact that people are making decisions today that have eternal consequences. How shaken are you that people are making decisions today that have eternal consequences. Not to mention that as long as they're alive in this world, they will never know what it is to live this life they never dreamed they could live in Jesus. I had a college kid say to me, just Friday at lunch, I want everybody just to taste this life that I'm living in Jesus. So could I ask you, how broken are you that you bump shoulders every day with people that will never know the life that they could be living? How broken are you that there are people that you bump shoulders with every day that are making decisions that will have eternal consequences? Well, Jesus comes walking one day by the Sea of Galilee I know I'm just getting there, but I'm going to have to stop again because I got to tell you that a few years ago, I was in Israel. We were going north. We had left Jerusalem that morning and we were making our way to the northern part of the country. And I knew that we were headed to the region of Galilee. We were talking and laughing and the bus we were in was just four of full of tourists like me. And, and all of a sudden we come up over the rise and the, the bus driver hits his brake and he pulls to the side and we look out the windows and I saw a sight that took my breath away. And here's what I saw. It's the Sea of Galilee. I have preached about the Sea of Galilee all my life. I have talked about the Sea of Galilee all my life. I've wondered what it looked like all my life. And in that moment, my eyes were resting on the Sea of Galilee. I brought another picture to show you. It is 18 miles long at its longest point. It is 14 miles wide at its 
greatest width. And one day, Jesus comes walking along the Sea of Galilee. I believe that God calls people. I believe that God speaks to us. And that day, God called four fishermen. That call had a command, and it also had a promise. You got a command, and you got a promise. Do you know what the command is? Follow me. Do you know what the promise is? I will send you out to fish for men. Do do, do you understand that at the proclamation of this good news of God, it immediately involves Jesus and the people who follow him. This is the only verse you will ever need in your life to compel you to share Jesus with others. I think sometimes we think that Jesus came to earth and he lived and and he did his thing and then finally they killed him and he died on the cross and then he was resurrected and right before he leaves, he scratches his head and says, I need to come up with something for them to do. No, no, no. It starts back here. From the very beginning, to be a disciple of Jesus is not only to identify with him in his life, but to identify with him in his mission. Discipleship and following Jesus is about fishing. In fact, I love the way my Dune District superintendent talks about it. He says, can we really be following if we're not fishing? Is that even a possibility? From from the very beginning, right here in Mark 1, at the very beginning of the gospel, chapter 1, when Jesus says, follow me, he says, and if you do, I'm going to teach you how. I'm going to send you out to fish for people. Here's where I struggle. We have made discipleship about everything except fishing. When Jesus made discipleship about fishing. I, I, I don't know, Rick. I don't think I have the gift of evangelism. I'm not really comfortable talking to people about faith. That's kind of a personal, private thing. Who am I to suggest to somebody that maybe there's a better life they could be living? And so we've tried to take discipleship and make it about all kinds of other things. We have made discipleship about everything except fishing, and Jesus made discipleship about fishing. But now I'm going to look you in the eye, and I'm going to be honest with you, and I'm going to tell you the truth. You are good people. I believe that I desire to honor Jesus with my life. I believe you do too. I believe you truly want to be a disciple. I believe you truly want to honor him in every way. Some of the best people that I've ever met in my life are part of this congregation. Here's what I think. I think we don't know how. I think we don't know what to do. I think you and I are lost in how to go about it. And the reason why in the words of one of the last great voices in the musical world, Bob Dylan, 
Okay, there was Willie Nelson too. That's another one. The reason we don't know how is because the times, in the words of Bob Dylan, they are a-changing. And what worked years ago doesn't work now. My mama would get up on Saturday morning and get her housework done so she could go fishing on Saturday afternoon. And I've told you before, she would park her car and she would knock on doors down this street and she would knock on doors coming back down the other street, inviting people to church and to know her Jesus. It worked for her. I don't know that today people would come to their door. And we're a little lost in how. One day, David Busick called me. David is the former pastor of this church, and he now serves the Church of the Nazarene, our denomination, as a general superintendent. He's here often, and you hear him preach on occasion here. He called me one day, and he says, you know, I've been listening to you talk for a while about where you feel like God's leading you personally and where you feel like God is leading you to lead the church. I hear your heart. I love what God is saying to you because we believe God calls and speaks, right? And he said, I've met this guy and, and I just think that you would love having a conversation with him. In fact, he's coming to town in a few weeks. Could you put it on your calendar? Could we all three go to lunch together? I want you to meet him. And so we go to lunch with David Busick and a guy named Daryl Kripe. And so David said, Rick, share your heart with Daryl. And so I said to Daryl, I said, Daryl, I, I just feel like God wants me to invest personally. And, and, and I believe that God wants me to help lead our people to invest personally in people who don't know Jesus. And so what I'm doing is I'm, I'm trying to gather people around me, you know, and I'm, I'm meeting with people and then I'm inviting some other people to come. And I, I kind of lead them in a, in a study of either the sermon or, or, or a spiritually forming book or, or maybe a passage of scripture in the Bible. And, and I'm trying to disciple people into the faith and then through the faith. And then I want people in the church to do the same thing. And at some point, I'm going to hand the group off and start another group. And he just shook his head. I said, what? And he said, Rick, you're, you're doing that, but you're a pastor. Most of the people sitting in the congregation that you preached on Sunday morning they're probably not going to do that. You're asking them to invite some people who don't know Jesus to come to a Bible study that you're going to lead with a few other people. And a lot of your people aren't feeling prepared, equipped, able, ready to do that. He said, all they need is one. I said, one what? He said, just, just one. What if everybody in your church had one? So, so what do, Daryl, what do you mean, what if everybody in my church had one? I'm just telling you, Rick, everybody in your church needs one. And then he began to give me the criteria for one. He said, that's a person who is not a follower of Jesus. They don't profess to be Christian. They live in close proximity with you, meaning that you can spend time with them, one-on-one -on -one time with them. And here's the third one. You're willing to rearrange your life for them. 
You're going to do whatever it takes to spend time with them on a regular basis. They're going to become your friend. He said, now, everybody in your church can do this. This isn't scary. This is a possibility. Do you know what we do as a church staff every time we meet on Mondays? At some point we say, okay, get in groups of two or three and talk to each other about your one. And so when we say one, we may mean four. I have four. It may be three, it may be two, it may be five. But talk to each other about the people that God has put on your heart They're not a follower of Jesus. They live in close proximity and you have rearranged your life for them. And that's what we do. Do do you know what we do when the laity of your church who are in leadership, your church board does? When we have a board meeting, we have one Tuesday night in two days. And in that meeting, we're gonna say, okay, let's take two or three minutes and let's talk to each other about our one. And your church board looks one another in the eye, sitting in groups of two or three, and they say, well, my one is this person, and this is how I came to know them, and God put them on my heart. And last week, we had coffee together, and we had a really good conversation. And you know what they say to that person? That's good. Do it again. Just keep building that relationship. Who's your one? Oh, I don't know if I can say this. I've had a few ones, but uh, God put somebody else on my heart. Somebody I love a great deal. And one night the Lord said to me, are you willing to rearrange your life for that person? If you, if you keep reading, you get to this point where Simon Peter and Andrew, they left their nets and they followed Jesus. And then James and John left their father in the boat with the hired men and they followed Jesus. When Jesus calls us, we leave life as we know it in order to follow him. In other words, if you have a, if you have a one, your life is going to change. This, this schedule that you're on right now, it's going to get interrupted. This way of doing things that are very comfortable right now for you, that's going to go away. Because you're going to have to rearrange your life. And all of a sudden, this one in your life is going to be dictating your schedule more. Because you're going to be willing to change the way you live every day to accommodate the one. You might be saying, I wish I had a picture. 
I, I wish you could just tell me a little more clearly what you're thinking and, and what you're wanting me to do. And so I got an email this week that draws a beautiful picture for you. This will help you like nothing else, okay? So a couple in the church, one is writing the email and just said, I wanted to share something with you that has happened to us. After hearing Daryl Kripe speak about my one, and so we had an event in the atrium a few months ago. Daryl was there. He talked about your one. And we invited leaders and anybody else who wanted to come. We had a great number who turned out. And then reading the book called Bless. You remember that sermon series, Bless? Two, two of you remember that? That was only a few weeks ago. The sermon series called Bless, anybody? Okay, sing another verse. They're still coming. That's what you do with your one, by the way. You remember Bless stands for begin with prayer, listen, eat, that's my favorite one, serve and share your story. You say, Rick, if I had a one, I wouldn't know what to do with one. That's what you do, you bless them. You pray for them, you listen to them, you eat with them, you serve them, and at some point you'll share your story about what Jesus has done for you. If you're saying, I don't know what to do. If I had a one, I don't know what I'd do with one. That's what you do. So I read the book called Bless, and I began to pray that God would give me a one. It didn't take long for God to answer. Because a few months ago, we had a family move into our neighborhood. We started, we started, we started by taking over a small treat, welcoming them. They later brought over to us a small treat. We invited them over for a meal. They invited us over to their house for a meal. The friendship has blossomed over the months. I don't know how to express fully how I feel, except that God is present in every exchange we have with them. We have never invited a neighbor over to our house, never. But we are learning how to be hospitable in a whole different way. Most of all, we both sense a divine calling. God is truly changing us. We hope to invite them to church. But first, we want to be their friends. It is so good to know that we can still learn more about how God wants to use us in this season of our lives. That's what it looks like to have one. And you can do that. So I often say, pray this prayer. You know, it's a great prayer. I know it's great because I wrote it. Father, bring someone into my life today. Give me the wisdom to recognize them and the grace to open my arms to them. Inviting them into my life, my community, my faith. So pray for one. God will give you one. And then bless them. We stand here humbly before you, Father. So aware of our need for you. Would you help us? This world is broken, it's hurting. 
people need Jesus. And from the very beginning, it was always in your mind that we would identify with you and your mission. And that if we're really gonna follow, we have to fish. And so help us to fish. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
receive this blessing as we leave today. May the Lord bless you, strengthen you, and propel you as you go out into the world to live a life that reflects the love and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Go and tell the world you are dismissed. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.